Immediately following the service, there will be uh, a luncheon in the church community room, which is located directly behind us here. You are invited to come and to be a part of that gathering. It's an opportunity for you to uh, share some with the family. I think that we're going to even have uh, available opportunity to uh, for you to share with as a group, with the group, and uh, just an opportunity to eat together and to uh, one more means through which. Uh, we support and care for each other as uh, at this time of, of death and loss. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of hell and death. Because I live, you also shall live. We have gathered here today to praise God and to witness our faith as we celebrate the life of Buddy Keith. We come together in grief, acknowledging our human loss. During this time, may God search each of our hearts, that in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow, hope. In death, resurrection. O God of life, as we have learned to do in all of our experiences, we come to you now in the hour of death. We know that you love us and that you can turn even the shadow of death into the light of morning. Help us now to wait before you with reverent and submissive hearts. Make this a time of opening our eyes and our understanding and a time of encouragement to each one of our hearts and our souls. We pray that you will bless those who feel this sorrow most deeply and cause the bonds of Christian love to bind us closer together so that we may share with one another the spiritual strength that is ours through the love of Christ. It is in his name that we pray, giving thanks. Amen. Reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. These are the commands, decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. O hear, Israel, the Lord of your God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to this place from which I carried you into exile. my grandpa I'd come up here and do this otherwise I would not be here but I'm Katie I'm one of Buddy's many grandchildren I came out to Houghton about three years ago thinking I would just help my grandpa out for a couple weeks when my grandma first moved up to the nursing home and look for a job um, God crazy provided one within two days of moving to Houghton in the middle of nowhere and a job I loved so I was very thankful I stayed here ever since but um What's running through my head right now is all the crazy stories he's telling my grandma of the definitely non-Wesleyan adventures we've had the last three years. Uh, We went to movies on a Sunday. We bought Christmas trees on Sunday. We did lots of crazy things. But um, hopefully, hopefully she doesn't believe him. She takes it all with like a buddy grain of salt. I don't know. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. Uh... I have been very blessed to live in this community where the people reached out to me simply because I was Buddy's granddaughter. And I was good enough for them, um, and I loved that. Some folks wouldn't want to be known just because of somebody else. They want to be known for them. Um, but if it was Buddy, you, you surely would. Uh, and I was so very proud every time someone, and I, I still am, every, every time someone refers to me as Buddy Keith's granddaughter. Uh, it even got me out of a speeding ticket once. <laughs> uh, and uh, Buddy was very proud of that and told probably half of Allegheny County. I kind of wish I never told him, so because he'd watch the odometer every time we went anywhere. So, um, Let's see. Uh, Grandpa, he, he loved Houghton. He loved the people here, Allegheny County, Western New York, and he shared that with me. I was not a country girl when I came here. Um, <laughs> It was a rough adjustment, but he shared that love with me and the beautiful people here. Um, Thank you for teaching me what true community is and being a living, breathing body of Christ for me and for him. A lot of people have been so great and uh, reassuring and comforting to me, saying, Buddy loved having me here with him. I thank you for that. That's truly comforting for me, but I, I want to let you know that it meant the world to me, too. Me and Buddy, we were two peas in a pod. We were best buds. Um... 
I'm jealous of the rest of my family that had years of memories with him. And mine were just kind of compacted into three very <laughs> intense years, but I'm thankful. Um, we had our ups and downs, uh, growing and learning experiences. He had never, or it had been a long time since he lived with a young lady. And I had never lived with an 80-year-old man before, so we had some, <laughs> some, t- some tension. But I cherish those memories and the opportunity I had to, to get to know my grandfather, the godly yet imperfect man he, he was. I thank his kids, my Uncle Tim, my Aunt Ellen, my Aunt Mary, my Daddy, and, and Roy for sharing their father with me. I realized he was countless other people's mother, or countless other people's father and grandfather, um, people through the academy, people through Houghton. Um, and I'm very grateful for sharing him with you and for you sharing him with me. Um, it may have me, it may have been me that Houghton saw, but it was my whole family, um, his children, his grandchildren, his brothers, his nieces, his nephews, along with the Houghton community and, and the community around us. It took all of us uh, to, to love him and support him these last couple of years. Um, it's been beautiful to watch my whole family and our, our greater family come together to, to do that for him. Uh, people say there's a giant buddy-sized hole now, and I completely agree because there's no one quite, quite like my grandpa, except my great-uncle Billy. He's <laughs> awfully similar. <laughs> uh, he, he, he reminds me a, a lot of my grandpa, uh, for better and for worse, so I love that. I love just hearing his voice. Uh, but the truth is, I see him in a little bit uh, of me, thankfully. Huh, thankfully. Um, and my daddy, I used to threaten him. I'd call him up on the phone and say, oh, you are just like your father and, and my little brother, too. So sometimes it drives me up the wall, but I am so thankful. Um, he's, he's rubbed off on so many people, the people he's loved. Um, and he taught us how to live just by living with us. Um, and I think that's a good thing. It's comforting to know that those things he's taught us um, will carry on, hopefully, in me and my cousins and my family and his family through the academy and through Houghton. So thank you. Thank you very, very much for being a part of Grandpa's family. I asked my wife to read my letter, my, my note today, because I know that it would be hard for me to finish. Um, so I'm going to let her read it for you. So this is his words. Um, last night at the viewing, I was very emotional. I wasn't sad for him, Mr. Keith, because he is clearly in a better place today. But I was moved by my memories of him growing up. Mr. Keith made me feel like how every kid should. I lived a childhood wrapped up in adult responsibilities, and being with Mr. Keith gave me a taste of security many kids take for granted. I took every advantage of being with him. I have countless memories of sitting in his workshop, mowing his lawn, and sitting with him on his porch. Mr. Keith must have recognized my need for him and was patient and helpful. Whether it was building my Pinewood Derby car for Boy Scouts, or a woodworking project assigned in high school, there was always time for me. His influence and relationship had such lasting effects that it was vital for me, for my sons, 
to share this relationship with Grandpa Buddy as well. Our family loves him and misses him very much.
Uh, scripture reading from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whether, whether he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalms 37, 23 through 31, 39 and 40. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. Turn from evil and do good, then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. They will be protected forever, but the offspring of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous man utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks what is just. The law of God is in his heart. His feet do not slip. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Buddy Keith, 39 years at Houghton Academy. Buddy Keith, the name that evokes myriad memories for those young people fortunate enough to have come under his influence. Apples, cider, pumpkins, candy store, camp out, photography, Spanish, social studies, exchange student program with Wesleyan Academy in Puerto Rico, a genuine smile, 
a special sense of humor, for example, removing his false tooth with his tongue and smiling while teaching, <laughs> a father figure, and, of course, those experiences that entitled one to sign the paddle in his office. The list could be endless. I stand here today representing the Worldwide Academy community to pay tribute to our Mr. Keith, the man who for many of us was Mr. Houghton Academy. Buddy Keith and I first met when I was 12 years old, and I believe I am uniquely positioned for this honor today. I count myself among the very large group of those who are privileged to have Mr. Keith for a teacher. I am also part of a smaller group, Houghton Academy faculty, who for 10 years called Mr. Keith boss. And I'm quite certain I'm the only person in the world who can say, for 13 years, I was Mr. Keith's boss. Due to time constraints, my challenge this afternoon is not what to say, but rather what to leave unsaid. Perhaps a few illustrations from my varied perspectives will give you a glimpse into the character of the man to whom I and many others owe so much. My teacher. Mr. Keith's quiz and grading practices often included the switching of papers with a classmate and then marking the incorrect answers or grading your own paper. Allow me an observation here. Mr. Keith would not have survived in today's classroom culture where teachers' red ink and your neighbor's awareness of your incorrect answers are determined to be highly damaging to self-esteem. <laughs> to that, he would say, hogwash. <laughs> These are simply opportunities for life, for learning life lessons and developing strength of character. Now back to my story. One day he handed back the test we had taken the previous day and said, we're all going to grade our own. We went over the answers, determined the number wrong, wrote it at the top of the page. Now, Mr. Keith must have suspected some in the class were being less than honest in this matter of grading their own papers. Because at that point, he told us to turn the test paper over and look in the upper top right-hand corner, and you would find in very small writing the number of wrong answers which should match the number you had just written on the top of the front page. Boy, did that get everyone's attention. <laughs> At first, the lesson I thought to be learned that day was, never trust your teacher. <laughs> but over time, I have come to appreciate Mr. Keith's example of creatively addressing his concern and emphasizing the life value in a manner that got everyone's attention in general and the attention of a few in specific. Some of you are wondering, yes, the numbers on both sides of my paper matched. <laughs> During my junior year, a classmate sitting next to me was entertaining those of us in his proximity, and I was not wise enough to ignore him. I was providing what he wanted, a responsive audience. Unfortunately, Mr. Keith did not think the entertainment or the responsive audience were appropriate behavior. He didn't fully appreciate the creativity in the back of the room because he didn't really know what was going on, but just that something not related to the subject was happening. After a warning, which obviously was unheeded, Mr. Keith took action. Stockin, leave the room. The first and only time in all my years of school that I was kicked out of a class. I was devastated. I later met with Mr. Keith to discuss the incident 
I will never forget his response when I explained the situation and tried to make my case for not being the instigator. With complete honesty, he told me he really didn't know what was going on, but it reached a point where he had to do something, so he called me out. And then he said, Teachers don't always get it right, Phil. I'm sorry, but you'll survive. Not only have I survived, but I have practiced and taught others that wise teachers are strong enough to apologize to their students. Over the years, I've had opportunity to counsel many students regarding teacher-related issues. I often shared my story and ended up saying, hang in there, you will survive. And who knows, someday you may be your teacher's boss. <laughs> my boss, after my first year back at the academy as business manager and teacher, there was an opening for the principal position. We encouraged Mr. Keith to take it. He did so with the understanding that he could continue to teach some classes and he could still paint houses in the summer. He gave me the title of assistant principal, and for the next 10 years, I had an internship in Christian school administration that was invaluable. He included me in just about everything that went on, faculty staff issues, parent issues, student issues. I learned so much about administration and about Mr. Keith. He did not really like confrontation. When there were certain types of faculty staff issues, he would call me to his office, close the door, tell me what was up, and say, you shouldn't have to talk to an adult about that. At times he would ask me if I would talk to the offender. <laughs> I would simply say, buddy, you're the boss. This really needs to come from you. And eventually he would do it. Over the years, I've had alumni talk to me about their experiences with Mr. Keith. Several have mentioned, along with the many positive things, that they don't recall, they didn't recall, ever seeing him shed tears. They have no doubts he cared for them, but didn't see the emotion. I've always been glad I had the opportunity to see Mr. Keith dealing with issues in private. Many times when a specific student wasn't responding to routine attempts at behavior modification, we would end up discussing what to do next. At these moments, there were often tears and anguish over the lack of response and the ultimate need to ask the student to leave the academy. He modeled for me deep, genuine concern for his students, though much of the emotion was kept inside. He taught me the overall value and necessity of having a good sense of humor. He would forever tease students, and particularly single female faculty. He would tease them about romantic relationships or the lack thereof. <laughs> right, Katie? <laughs> You could count on Mr. Keith at lunchtime to ask, any announcements today? And then turn and look directly at the single teacher. <laughs> I found it ironic that he would always be teasing students about boyfriends and girlfriends in terms of when are you going to get one, while at the same time having to focus so much time on keeping certain couples apart. <laughs> A similar type of contradiction took place with his apple cider sales. In the days before mandatory pasteurization, making and selling cider was a great class fundraiser. Mr. Keith was always pushing the sale of his cider in October and then having to be sure jugs of this elixir were not still in the boys' dorm come April. <laughs> These and similar things were always dealt with in a straightforward manner and with that unique smile. Mr. Keith was open to new ideas, 
for example, his wind term program. He communicated with the state education department, got approval in the mid-70s for our wind term program. His son John took this program to never-envisioned levels at Wheaton Academy, and today it is in vogue in many Christian schools across America. Another strong memory I have of the years when Mr. Keith was principal is his willingness to use his handyman skills to help the academy get things done that were not in the budget. My greatest interest in those days in terms of the physical plant was to improve things in the gymnasium. I would come up with a plan, and Mr. Keith was always there to help me make it happen. The glass backboards that are in the academy gym today were one of those projects. My ball players tied their summer earnings. Mr. Keith and a welder friend detailed my ideas. I provided unskilled labor, and voila, consider the life values modeled. I believe my players and other students learned important things through this and similar projects, including the gym ceiling fans, additional backboards, tile floors, teacher lecterns, and shelving. Mr. Keith's handyman skills truly blessed the academy. My employee. Mr. Keith's heart was always more in the classroom than the principal's office. After I had completed my master's degree in Christian school administration, and I would mention there was very little discussed in those classes that I had not already experienced because of Mr. Keith. But after I completed my degree, he came to me and shared that he had been contacted by other schools about talking to me regarding administrative positions with them. He said he would really prefer to go back to the classroom full-time and would do so if I would take his place as head of Houghton Academy. We discussed how this might play out, the positives and the pitfalls. We trusted each other and decided we could make it work. When the Academy was accredited in 1990, a member of the visiting team made his opinion about this crystal clear. He said, as long as Phil is headmaster and Buddy is on the faculty, the Academy will never become what it could be. No one can make a switch like that. I think Buddy proved him wrong. During the years he and I were in the faculty-headmaster relationship, the Academy received dual accreditation from the Middle States Association of Colleges and Secondary Schools and from the Association of Christian Schools International. We doubled enrollment, doubled the size of the physical plant, and expanded the academic and extracurricular programs. This was largely due to Buddy's capacity to switch roles and be supportive of the many changes. I know at times he did not agree with my decisions, but he never made it an issue with other faculty and staff. He was indeed a rare man. There was one concession I always made for my mentor and friend. I arranged Buddy's teaching schedule so he always had a free period at the right time to go downtown and meet the regulars for coffee. <laughs> I, did this for I did this for two reasons. One, I did not want to upset the social fabric of our small town. And two, I never wanted to find out just what kind of a monster he might be if he didn't get his daily dose of coffee at the appointed hour. <laughs> Mr. Keith was loyal to me and to the Academy. I could not have asked for a better employee. He gave of himself for his students and his school before, during, and after school hours. Over the years, he played basketball, softball, golf, and badminton with us. He willingly joined in nonsense skits when we entertained the students. For years, he organized a Wednesday evening prayer meeting for the students. There was very little this man did not do. Mr. Keith was indeed a father figure, 
mentor and friend for so many Houghton Academy students and colleagues. During the last few days, I have received literally dozens of emails and phone calls from alumni expressing their appreciation for this special man. His influence has indeed been vast, but cannot be fully measured this side of heaven. Thank you, Mr. Keith, for your many years of faithful, selfless service to your Lord and to Houghton Academy. I am confident you have heard those all-important words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Amen. Last time I was up here was a, doing a Christmas skit when I was a little kid. Scared out of my mind then, too. So uh, I was probably a goat or a donkey or something, so I wouldn't have to have a speaking part. Um, but it is wonderful to be here amongst friends and friendly faces. And we've all aged, but we have the same smiles and the eyes. and the, it's, it's sweet. So bear with me. We're here to celebrate a life well lived. I was blessed to be brought up in a home grounded by a loving father. As his daughter, I knew I was loved and championed. He was my safe place. He was my guardian. As a child, to ride next to my dad in his car was the best. He loved road trips. Anywhere, everywhere, he just did. Um, he never minded driving to Buffalo in the middle of the night or Rochester to train. Or We even went to Olean Airport, which I didn't even know existed until I went with him in a snowstorm to pick up kids. Um, I can remember some crazy snowstorms we drove through and, and me riding along to keep him company but always feeling safe, and I love those times. He was my companion this fall in Alaska. During our time together, I was able to reverse our roles. I cared for him, I fed him, I clothed him, and I got to be his protector. It was then that I realized I didn't have much time left with him. He was very frail fragile and unsteady. I knew that this was going to be my last one-on-one -on -one time with him. So I just stopped any plans I had. I made a note on Facebook. I said, whoa, this is precious and I just need to stop. Um, we would start our morning slowly, checking on the sea otter that was right out there in the ocean. The amphib was flipping and, you know, diving in the kelp watching all the boats go by, wondering what that one did. But the, I, I have no clue, Dad, but they're pretty cool looking. So um, we would talk for hours and then have lunch with Joel when he came home from school. Then he took his obligatory nap. Um, and then we'd go sightseeing. We always made sure we went walking somewhere to get a little exercise, he would say. And then we'd talk some more. 
Um, he could hear my voice, even though, darn it, he didn't get those hearing aids quick enough. But for something about my voice that he could hear. Um, and that was very special to me. We used to say when we were talking that we were the emotional messes of the family because we cried so easily. Um, I said I had learned to be okay with that. Tears were an outward expression of a deep emotion, and it was a good thing. We shared our death experiences, my son, his wife, his brothers, our heartaches, his missing mom. He shared that a marriage was about doing for each other, doing whatever needed to be done out of love. He so missed that. And the sharing of life with my mom, it broke his heart when she passed. He tried his hardest to keep the loneliness at bay. I know he talked with the all-knowing God about his loneliness, but he persevered knowing that God's timing was perfect. We all enjoyed his presence a little while longer due to the stroke Saturday night. It allowed us to give last hugs and kisses, read scripture, and say our goodbyes. But Friday morning at about 5.40, it was his time. And I said he, tra he traded his earthly family for his heavenly one at that point. I know my heavenly father said, well done. I could in faithful service. Come rest with me. Psalm seventeen fifteen. And I in righteousness. I will see your face when I awake, and I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. I'm Tim Keith. I'm a very grateful believer in Jesus Christ. And I'm, a proud, I'm proud to say I'm Buddy and Lenore Keith's oldest son. I say that with pride, as do my siblings. I share a lot of things in common with my dad, public speaking being one of them. <laughs> Humor and sometimes sarcasm. As another, Ellen and I laughed uh, yesterday when we went through the bottom of the right house, got to the bottom of the stairs and saw three chairs sitting there with a note from Mr. Murphy telling him that what was wrong with these chairs and waiting to get them fixed. Uh, bad news, Mr. Murphy, is there going to be a little delay on the repair of these chairs? <laughs> but we're going to try, all right? And then I uh, went to the other shop this morning and found one from Mr. Hess. So, But some of you know him as the fix-it guy. Um, and Katie mentioned that she, she, Dad was having to explain some things to Mom. I think the one thing she failed to, to mention was she's going to have to explain how she brought a cat into our house. <laughs> when I last saw my mother, we were in the room. And uh, I think Kitty was in there. We told Mom, and Mom was not very communicative at that point. She had Alzheimer's. But when we told Mom that we had a cat, 
She laughed. <laughs> that was my last communication that I know my mom got. But everyone that's here um, is here because of their connection with my dad and, uh, and mom. And we've heard from so many of you and we've heard from so many that couldn't come. Um, so I just want to make a few comments here. I know for some of you, he was a neighbor. And uh, a neighbor uh, had a different meaning uh, for him, I, I think. It was a deeper thing than when I think about my neighbors where I live. I hardly know some of them. And I don't think that was the case with my dad and his neighbors. It went farther down the street, and it went farther and deeper. And I think he was a good neighbor. You acknowledge that. Uh, as a good neighbor, of course, many of you mentioned that you borrowed tools. You know, I think that that's one of the services he provided Houghton was tools. Um, for some of you, he was just a friend, and he was a great friend. I'm so grateful to Roy for sharing. Uh, obviously, my brother's more persuasive than I am. I'm really glad John prevailed. Because, uh, Roy, you are a really good friend to him and your family. For some of you, he was a colleague and a love colleague, a fellow teacher. Some of you, he was your boss. Um, but for many of you, he was your teacher. Now, how many of you had my dad as a teacher? I suspected there would be a lot of you here today. He had a lot of roles. That was the one he was really, really, really good at. Um, he was my principal, and I had him for three years of Spanish. And when I tell people that, they just go, well, you know, wow. But I can stand here and say that he was one of the best teachers I ever had in my life, which is a thing to be really proud of. Um, and he had some met methods that he used that really worked. I swear he always started to grope with a class or some kind of stupid pun. Um, but it worked for him. He made a connection. And we threatened to write a book with all these puns and sayings and, and so forth. Um, but the other thing he, he seemed to do, speaking of it being a teacher with Spanish, was I, I don't think he probably gave a quiz every day. But that's the way I remember it. He gave us vocabulary words. And then, you know, like I, I think once maybe I didn't study the vocabulary words. And then I realized I was a stupid freshman when this happened. You know, I, then I realized that I had to take a quiz on these words tomorrow. There was no getting around it. And he wasn't going to give me a quiz on all 20 of the ones he assigned. He was only going to give me five. So I still had to lose, learn all 20. Um, but he could get a lot out of you. And I th think that's one of the things that made a good teacher. Of course, I, I had to go home and live with him if I didn't do my homework. So, <clears throat> And I have to confess, he put me in remedial once. Um, and I swore that was never going to happen again because I think I missed soccer practice or something. No, it wasn't soccer practice at that point. It was some kind of intramurals that we had. But anyway, for some of you, he's family. Um, brother, nephews, nieces, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. The thing we all have in common is they impacted all of our lives. Um, I, I've tried really hard to figure out and put my finger on why my dad was so special. Um, 
And the best that I could come up with was that what he was trying to do was influence people and influence people all the time. But he did it in in a, a different way. He never told you really what to do. He somehow could communicate without telling you things. I mean, um, so he was an influencer, and that's what he did. And who he was is best described as a teacher. Never stopped teaching. And uh, and as a son, I can tell you uh, that he taught me just about everything in life I needed to know. Um, But don't really know when he told me. I mean, I can't pinpoint when he told me certain things. We were talking about this the other day. I don't know, but I got it. Um, I got with, that some things were right and some things were wrong. And it was pretty clear what those were. And I'm grateful to him for that. Just a couple things that I want to share um, that I learned from my dad. And see if this doesn't ring true for you. Number one, do everything with humility. Don't bring attention to yourself or do anything for rewards. I mean, he didn't do things because he wanted anybody to pay attention to him. He did it because it was the right thing to do. And he loved doing for people. And I think we've all received those, those benefits. Second, he really loved to help, loved and, and wanted to help people and Several years ago, somebody shared a definition of love as being love is determining what's best for somebody else and then doing anything in your power to see it happen in their life. That, that would be true love. And, and that's what he did. He looked around and, you know, he lived to help people. I think probably one of the greatest disappointments in his life is that he doesn't get to take Roy to Kentucky. I mean, I don't know how many times I heard about this trip to Kentucky. We're going to have to work something out here. But uh, he, wa- he wanted to do that so badly, right? And uh, he, he, he wanted to do it because he knew you needed it. You know, and that's what it was based on. That's love. Um, third thing is, he not only loved people and wanted to help them, but he loved all people. I mean, it didn't matter if... Uh, you were a PhD. I have to be a little careful here. You're a PhD or a normal person. Good. Dad, Dad, you'd be proud of me. I got him to laugh. Didn't matter if you were Amish or English. Uh, it didn't matter. I mean, old, young, whatever it was. Um, he didn't, he didn't really care. Um, and he felt his buddy, buddies down at Subway were as important as everybody. I mean, it didn't matter. And I thought that was cool. That was a great example. Take care of everybody. And then the last thing is he taught, he taught me, and I think my siblings would agree, that he taught me that whatever gifts God gave you, you were supposed to take them and work hard with them. Work ethic was a big thing with him. Um, and, and maybe it turned into a flaw sometimes, you know, working too hard and not learning to rest. But um, I can remember some of the coolest times when I was a kid painting houses with my dad. I, I was a, such a privilege. 
he was a great painter and he taught me how to paint, taught me so many different things, gardening, woodworking, photography, every hobby I think he ever had, I adopted in everybody else too. Um, but, uh, taught me how to paint, but we used to paint and he taught me how to set goals. You know, he didn't say, he didn't say, okay, let's go set a, set a goal. And, um, Actually, Mr. Achilles is here, and he he vouched for this. But we would set we set these. He would say, "Well, you know, what can we get done by five o'clock?" And and you know, so he'd make us set it, and we we'd set some ridiculous goal. And he sure got his money's worth out of us because, <laughs> I mean, we'd go for it, and then then he said, "Well, if you get done by such and such a time, we'll go up, up to restroom and go swimming." And so he he could motivate as well, and. Uh, that I just love working with him. Good friend from Houghton Academy and Marion College and ever since, Cheryl Oden. Uh, every time she'd call me, I don't know if I can do this. She'd say, how's your dad? That was the first question she'd always ask me. And um, it wasn't just, how's your dad? I learned on, over the years, it's, you know, how's your dad really doing? Because he's kind of my dad, too. I've had more kids. I mean, I've, I've seen this. I saw it on Facebook a couple of times. It said, thanks for sharing your dad with me. And what some of them were saying was he was, he's my second dad or third dad, too. And uh, so, Cheryl, this is the answer to that question. Um, he's great. This has all been a test of my theology. Um, He's with Jesus. He's happy. He didn't have to suffer long, for which we're grateful. And he's going on. We're here celebrating his life. Now, she probably would ask me next, how are you? And I, that's, that's another question. Uh, but I am grateful. Um, I've been reassured about the sovereignty of God with, with my trip just getting here. And I, I thank God over and over that he allowed me to be here before my dad passed. Um, I made it by four hours. And uh, I, I don't know, I hope, I hope you heard the things I said to him. Early on in my teaching career, I, I can remember the first time a kid called me Mr. Keith. And it was just all wrong. <laughs> I couldn't really deal with it for a long time because I wasn't Mr. Keith, you know? I, I wasn't Mr. Keith. Mr. Keith is right there. For half of you, he's Mr. Keith. For half of you, he's Buddy. And, uh, but either way, that's pretty cool. He was a great man, and uh, I'm proud to be his son. Um, I'll leave you with these two sayings. Phil hit one of them, probably his most famous one, but I found myself a week ago when I was in class teaching some students that wanted to quit on something. And I found myself saying this, the impossible takes a little longer. I don't know if anybody ever heard him say that, but that was one of his favorite sayings. He wouldn't say, don't quit. He'd say, the impossible takes a little longer. And, that, and in that, you could write a book. Just keep at it. Um, but the other saying, of course, is, and, and Gene Ayers could explain this all a lot better because he was talking about it the other day, but his favorite saying was hogwash. 
Um, which, have any of you ever heard anybody else use that term? Uh, John explained to me, too, what it really meant. Um, but anyway, if he said hogwash, he was really telling you you were nuts uh, and, and you were wrong. But you might not have picked that up. But I, I really appreciate and the family appreciates you all coming today and celebrating his life. He was a good man. And he was a great dad. And uh, we're going to miss him. The thing I'm going to miss the most is going over there in that shop and puttering. It didn't matter what we were making. It was, we were making something, doing something and making a mess. So, Dad, I'm going to get the last laugh because I'm going to go make a mess over there sometime this week. He always claimed I left the shop a mess. No, it doesn't matter. You know, I can do it. Thank you for listening to me. Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other one as just as fair, and perhaps having the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as far as the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference.
Please be seated. Really, to sum up what others have shared is to say that Buddy Keith was a good man. He was a man of integrity and compassion, a man of grace. He was always expanding his circle of friends and his circle of love, and that's evident from all of you here today. I always found it intriguing to to watch Buddy interact with people, and he never seemed to be afraid of, of making new acquaintances, engaging himself with people who, as Tim said, were different from him. Whether that difference was in lifestyle or interests and practices and priorities, even in faith. If you spent much time with him, you, you know the stories that he used to tell. You know that look, a smile, those, I always thought, mischievous eyes. And of course, you, you knew his rock-solid character. But I'm convinced that nothing is more important for us to remember about Buddy Keith's life than this. That he would tell us that his life would be nothing without God. The first psalm and the 37th psalm that were read for us a few moments ago talk about contrasting people. People who are good and people who are not. People who experience the consequences of choosing evil. And people who experience blessing because they have chosen good. Psalm 1 speaks of people who delight in obeying God's law. And people who vacillate about how they're going to respond to God and and his place in their lives. Psalm 37 speaks of, of people who have chosen evil. And who are enamored with jealousy toward others. Who are absorbed with anger toward people who might have done them wrong. Who even find great joy in the misery of other people because their misery is our gain. But the psalmist also paints an intriguing picture of those who are good. They don't need recognition. They are content with doing what is right, whether anyone acknowledges them or not. They aren't about accumulating wealth or power. But they're more concerned with helping people who are in need, in serving others who are struggling. And Psalm 37 talks about people who choose good, people who choose God, as having children that are blessed. I look around this room today and I see family who are blessed as Buddy's children, grandchildren. But I also see a room full of people who are in one way or another sort of blessed children as well. Spiritually blessed because we were connected to him and his life impacted ours and it made us better people. It made, us, it made us more like what Buddy lived. And we also are blessed as children, spiritually. And it seems to me that underlying both of these psalms is a clear understanding that the difference between those who are good and receive blessing and those who are not good 
and face the consequences of that. The difference is the place of God in a person's life. The psalm tells us that people who are committed to the good ways of God are upheld by God's hand in mercy and grace. And I think that this is really the key, being led and upheld by God in whom we place our trust. But he keeps spending his life being led by God whom he trusted. God led him from Kentucky to Marion, from Marion to Houghton. God didn't lead him to another town from here. Once he got here, he stayed. But he led him to people and to service and to witness that that could only have been accomplished through the grace of God in his life. But his life was about trusting God because Buddy learned early on that no one is more faithful than God is. He learned that God is faithful when life is exactly as we want it to be. And God is faithful when life turns on us like a rabid dog. God is faithful when we get what we want and, it, and when everything we try seems to fall apart. God is faithful in the joy of new life. And God is faithful in the pain of death. God was faithful to Buddy when he was working his way through college, when he was looking for work, when he landed at Houghton, when he became the headmaster of Houghton Academy, when he retired from teaching, when his children and grandchildren were born. And I watched him experience and trust in God's faithfulness, in God's goodness and mercy. When his grandson Aaron died far too young, and when he went through the experience of Lenora's death. In those experiences and in many others, Buddy lived his life trusting the goodness and the grace of God every day about everything. And he would be the first one to tell us that there was not a moment when God failed him. And today, as we feel grief and pain because of Buddy's death, the same God who was fully trustworthy and unfailingly faithful to Buddy makes the same promise to us. And it makes all the difference in everything that we do here today. Because God is faithful, we can trust with absolute certainty that Buddy has received his reward from Jesus who filled his life and that he has joined family and friends in eternal praise of his creator. And I can guarantee you it is far better than any of us could ever imagine. Because God is faithful, we can trust that God is with us, giving us strength and grace in times like these in which we struggle. For God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And we cling to that promise today and every day. Because God is faithful, we can trust that God who changed and transformed Buddy's life desires to change and transform our lives too. God desires us to understand what Buddy understood 
that life is lived most fully when you're trusting God. That God loves us and God is with us and God is continually calling us to himself to experience the fullness of his love and his joy and his peace and his mercy if we will trust him. So I come back to where we began. Buddy Keith, simply put, was a good man. We've heard it in in numerous ways today. But when his life is boiled down to his essence, Buddy was good because he trusted God who is perfectly good. And his life calls us to question our own lives. In whom are we placing our trust? In whom is our life anchored? Our answer makes all the difference in the world. Amen.
Following the benediction, I invite you to be seated for the postlude. And following the postlude, please uh, make your way, those of you who can stay, to the luncheon and join the family in that time of fellowship together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Please be seated.